seated. So today was an interesting day uh, to get <laughs> to get started, right? Uh, lots of wind and, and uh, dangerous weather announcements. Uh, I hitched the trailer up today and uh, dragged that sucker out of the, the driveway. And so here we are. Uh, so glad that today could work out for all of us. This is kind of uh, what, it, what it means to be Anglican church planters in Minnesota. So thanks for coming and being a part of this, this church planting adventure <laughs> with me. This is a lot of fun. Um, special thanks to the setup crew and the musicians who came here early this morning in the snow. And uh, if you guys look back at those big um, portable cabinets there, lugging those things through the snow is... is quite a treat, let me tell you. Um, so special thanks to the setup crew who was able to do that. Um, that has nothing to do with my sermon other than uh, it's, just, it's just fun to, to remind ourselves of the adventures that we're all in. So uh, here at Restoration and a lot of other Anglican and liturgical churches, the Bible passages that we read uh, on Sunday mornings, these aren't things that, that I just get to choose uh, for myself. I mean, we can sometimes mess around and change the scriptures that are shared. But for the most part, these are scriptures that have been assigned to us from a, a long, uh, old, ancient tradition uh, that we get to glean from. So like I said, this isn't just like Rick's favorite passages that we get to listen to. And it's exciting to me when we get to hear stories uh, like the ones that we read today uh, from Genesis, from the first few pages of scripture. And then from Revelations, from some, uh, from Revelation, from some of the, the last few pages of Scripture. And this is fun, especially seeing these two Scriptures side by side like this, because we, we get to see what that entire, like, overarching, that meta-narrative story that's running all throughout Scripture. We get to see uh, where things are beginning and, and where things are ending up. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to think about. And there's a lot of themes, there's a lot of things that we could glean from these two passages alone. Uh, one of them is that we very clearly see that creation has a purpose to it. Uh, creation has a purpose to it. From the garden of creation to the throne room of heaven, everything that we hear about here is done to reflect God's loving, creative powers. God creates humanity. He brings spirit into, into man. And then Adam uses the breath that God has given him to bring name and order and dominion to the world around him. And then we see later on in the scriptures that men and women are called to sing forth praises and worship of the Lord God in heaven. We read in Revelation, all of creation exists, Lord God, for your good pleasure. But then there's the sea. And the sea is kind of a big question mark when it comes to all of these stories. Weather, uh, especially on days like this, we're reminded that it's, it's not always very easy to be controlled. The sea is this emblem of purposelessness and chaos, right? It's always churning and foaming. The sea is always sort of beckoning us into it, beckoning us to, to come and then swallowing us up at times. And even a small bit of the sea can be kind of terrifying doesn't take a lot of ocean to scare us. Uh, my in-laws have a, a home out on the lake, and I remember walking out to the dock, and it's, it's a lake, it's, it's a big lake, it's not massive, but it's, it's a decent-sized lake. I remember looking out the dock and just looking down into the water, and about four feet of water, and seeing the seaweed and stuff there, and then my favorite sunglasses 
topple off the top of my bald head because there's, there's not a lot of friction to hold them up there. <laughs> and they go and they hit the water. And I knew as soon as they hit the water, I, I may as well have been standing on like the, the fjords of Norway and just chuck those off. There was no way I was going to be getting those sunglasses back, even though it was just four feet of water, right? The sea had claimed another victim that day. But we can turn through the pages of scripture and we can see more and more stories of this chaotic nature of the ocean, of the sea. In, the, in Genesis, God hovers over the sea and from the sea, he pulls forth the dry land and we have this image of him sort of pushing back the sea so that his creation project can get underway. And then in throughout the Psalms and in Job, we even hear of, in other ancient poems uh, in the ancient world, we hear about these terrible monsters that live below the sea, you know, that are threatening human existence, that are swallowing up ships and everything. But the sea is not God's rival. It's not like the sea is a bad deity itself. No, the scripture is clear, especially Genesis, that the sea is also God's creature. You see, God is in complete control of this chaotic, churning ocean. And we learn throughout the scriptures that God often uses the sea for his redemptive purposes. God rescues Noah from this, the waters of the flood with his ark. And then we have the great Exodus story in which God divides the Red Sea and lets his people walk across on dry ground. And we also have the story of Jonah, right, where he gets thrown overboard and God rescues him from the sea uh, by appointing a great fish to swallow him so that Jonah doesn't drown. And then in Revelation 4, I don't know if you caught this, but towards the, the middle part of the, or the end of that first paragraph, uh, in the middle of verse 6, we hear that in heaven, the great throne room of heaven, the sea is there, but it is absolutely still like crystal. It is smooth as glass. It doesn't threat the reign of God, even in, in heaven. So right now, the church, we are in the season of Epiphany, and we are reaching the end. This is the second Sunday before Lent. And as you might re recall, I've been inviting us to discover all throughout the season of Epiphany once more who Christ Jesus is. And perhaps for you, this has been discovering who Jesus is for the first time. You've been hearing some of these stories of this person who people have been obsessed about for 2,000 years, and he's starting to, to, to come alive in your heart. Uh, you're starting to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. And maybe for some of you, this is a rediscovery. Maybe for some of you, you've been looking at these familiar passages, and they've been, um, again, being brought into a new light for you. Maybe you've been seeing that through Jesus Christ, God is a God who is on mission. He comes to proclaim good news to the poor. He's here to heal the sick and to rescue the imprisoned. He's here to, to, to declare a new rule book in which those who have nothing are blessed. And this blessing, this light of Christ that we talk about throughout the season of Epiphany, is spreading throughout the nations. Well, pretty soon, in a couple weeks, we're going to be entering into a very difficult season. Uh, it's the season of Lent. We're going to be descending down into Lent. And for many of you, this is going to be the first time uh, that maybe you've been through uh, with a liturgical church and walked through the season of Lent. And some of you are seasoned, veter seasoned veterans. Maybe this is uh, maybe the 20th or 30th time you've celebrated Lent. But you could, you could attest to the fact that Lent is a difficult time, right? It's a difficult season. It's a time in which we take this spiritual pilgrimage with Christ 
to the cross. And this isn't always an easy journey. Now, I think that those who designed our Sunday assignments, our, our scripture readings, I think they were very intentional in choosing these passages for this particular day. You see, they know that there is a dark and gloomy journey ahead of us. They know that things are going to get a little bit difficult. Jesus is going to be betrayed by one of his best friends and handed over to the bad guys. And I think what we're being reminded of this morning is don't forget. Don't forget who our Lord is. Don't forget the purpose of creation. The same God who breathed breath into mankind is still with us. The same God who sits upon the throne of heaven is still with us. And the same God, as we'll see in our gospel reading today, is the same God who commands the sea. Now, I have to admit, this isn't the invention of our lectionary readers, the ones who, who, or the, the ones who chose these scriptures. This is actually how the gospel of Luke itself is designed as well. This story, the story that we're going to be looking at here this morning of Jesus calming the storm from Luke chapter 8, this, this is one of many stories where we hear about the power that Jesus Christ has over creation, over sickness and darkness. So we have at the end of Luke 8, Jesus calming the storm. After this, if you have your Bibles, you would see that Jesus, after this, casts out a legion of demons from a man. And then after that, he heals a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And then after that, he brings back to life this 12-year-old girl. And then after that, we're going to have the transfiguration in which Jesus takes the disciples up to a mountain. And is trans we, we see him in his full glory. And that's the passage we're going to be looking at next week. And so it's as if Luke, the writer of this gospel, wants to remind us of the power that we have in Jesus Christ before things start to get really dim, before we start to walk down towards the cross. Luke wants to remind us of the mighty power and the love of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what sort of storm you're facing right now. Some of you, have, I do, uh, but some of you, I don't. I don't know what sort of personal descent you might be facing you know, maybe the journey down to Lent is, is very real uh, to you right now. Maybe the storm that you're facing is an ailing loved one. Maybe it's an addiction that you're trying to kick. Maybe it's a difficult boss that you have to deal with. I don't know what your storms all entail. But today, I want us to step into this rocking boat with these terrified fishermen and sit down next to the sleeping Jesus and contemplate the power of Christ himself. And I want us to ask alongside these apostles, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So if you haven't yet, look at the passage from Luke chapter 8. So this story, it's, it's a common one. You've probably heard many sermons on, Luke, on Jesus calming the storm, right? It's actually told in all three of the synoptic gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And today's version, in Luke's story, he actually takes us through it pretty quickly. Uh, this is a story that's told in about four verses. And at first glance, it's a pretty straightforward story, right? So Jesus and his disciples, they get into the boat. They set out across the sea. And Jesus is absolutely exhausted. He's been ministering to huge crowds of people. He's been casting out demons. He's been healing. He's been teaching. And so it's no wonder that as soon as Jesus gets into this boat... He has an opportunity to get horizontal, and he just conks out immediately, right? <laughs> Some of you may have been in that experience before. You're absolutely pooped, and as soon as you get horizontal, you zonk out. 
And I think it's actually a little remarkable that the gospel writers include that detail, that Jesus fell asleep. Because keep in mind, they're writing a story here to try to convince us and to try to convince the world that God became man. And here they're admitting that this God-man got tired and fell asleep. I think that's important. It's a small detail, but I think it's really important to remind us that Jesus Christ is fully human. He enters into our experience. He knows what it's like to get exhausted and need to lay down and fall asleep. But there's also another unusual, well, there is, there's an unusual thing about this story. It's a couple that I want to point out. But first of all, this storm comes. And this is an unusual storm. In the original language, it says that it's a windstorm of windiness. We know nothing about that this morning, right? <laughs> windstorm of windiness. I was thinking last night, I was like, if we have to cancel church tomorrow, it's insanely ironic that I'm preaching on Jesus calming the storm <laughs> on that kind of day. I thought, what would it be like if I walked outside and just said, storm, peace, be still? But I don't know. We'll, we'll save that for another day. Thankfully, it worked out today so we could come and, and hear this message, right? But it's not looking good for the disciples. The waves are crashing up into the boat. The boat is taking on water. And it's starting to sink. It's starting to get heavy, right? Now, the, the weird thing is that Jesus doesn't wake up. He's absolutely out, right? He's absolutely out. All the rocking and the screaming of the fishermen doesn't wake him up. It would probably have woken me up, but it doesn't wake Jesus up. And as I hear this, I'm a little reminded of the story of Jonah. Another story of this prophet who's in a boat during a storm and the sailors have to come and wake him up. What is it about prophets that they can sleep in the middle of storms? Hmm? Well, like I said, the disciples are panicking. These expert fishermen are freaking out. Master, master, they cry out. We are perishing. Well, there's good news, friends. Jesus might fall asleep sometimes, but he doesn't oversleep. Jesus might doze while the wind is screaming around, but when his disciples cry out, Jesus wakes up. And he wakes up, kind of like a parent, woken up from screaming children, and he turns and he rebukes, not the disciples for waking him up, but he rebukes the storm itself. And here's the wild thing. It listens. It obeys just like my lovely children always obey. <laughs> but the storm knocks it off, right? It totally, it totally goes back. And do you know that this is actually a very physically remarkable thing? Because, you know, I, I guess maybe you could say that, you know, sometimes uh, you, you can coincidentally tell a storm to calm and maybe the wind would just instantly stop. There are times that wind does instantly stop and it's eerie. But the really crazy thing is that also the water that's been churning and bubbling and foaming and crashing, it also immediately stops. I mean, think about the physics of that. Like all of this inertia that's bouncing around in the Sea of Galilee immediately stops. At Jesus' rebuke, every wisp of air, every molecule of H2O comes to a standstill. Now, as you can imagine the disciples who are there in the boat with him are under, understandably filled with fear and wonder. They are starting to realize that Jesus, he's not just a normal teacher. He's not even just a normal miracle worker. Even creation itself 
obeys this man. So what then in the world does this mean for us? 2,000 years later, where the wind of windiness is blowing around this very building, what does it mean to us? Well, first of all, I think it means that Jesus does calm storms. I mean, we kind of have to take this at, at face value. Jesus does calm storms. Now, I need to have a little correction here, a little word of caution, because some of you may have heard this sermon preached before, and you may have heard someone say, if only you have faith, God will, will f- calm your storm of life. Right? I don't think that's what is happening here. If you hear a sermon like that, you can, you can, rest assur- you can, you can be assured that that is a false gospel. Right? This isn't a story saying that if you have faith, God will heal X, Y, or Z, or calm this storm, or give you this job, or anything like that. That is a false gospel. Anyone who says that hasn't been paying attention to how Jesus' ministry on earth concludes. right? Because even his friends betray him. I remember Jesus praying in the garden, asking God the Father to take this cup away from him. And he doesn't. The storm isn't taken away. Jesus willfully submits to this plan to go to the cross. So the fact that some prayers aren't answered in the way that we want, I still think should not deter us from crying out to God in, from the depths of our distress. Because God, in his mercy, does sometimes calm storms. Somali this last week, my wife, she was uh, out in D.C. Uh, and she got to, uh, at the, this, this uh, I'll, I'll explain the Matthew 25 thing another day. <laughs> but uh, Molly sent an email about that. But you can learn more about the Matthew 25 uh, conference that she went to. But one of the key orchestrators of this, her name is Christine. Uh, she was at the, the previous one. But then several months ago, she was in a horrible, horrible car accident. Uh, her kids were driving down the highway. Uh, she wasn't with them. Uh, and they were learning how to drive, and they allowed the vehicle to run out of gas. Um, you know, sometimes as we're learning how, learning how these vehicles work, we sometimes don't pay attention to those little blinking lights sometimes. But anyway, runs out of gas, and so they pull over to the side of the highway, and they call their mom. So Christine comes with some gas, and it's, it's kind of terrifying. But what she does is she goes on the side of the highway, and she's filling up the gas tank at the side of the car. Well, because of the way the road was, the cars behind them start to pile up. And one of the drivers was incredibly impatient and just floored it and went forward and actually crashed into their vehicle, totaled his car, ran into Christine, and she toppled down onto the pavement, absolutely breathless, not moving at all. Well, as you can imagine, her kids were utterly terrified. They hop out of the car, and they cry out, Master, our mother is dying. Please do something. Can you imagine the terror that must be going, that would have been going through their minds at that moment? Well, instantly she starts to breathe again. Her chest starts to move. She starts to breathe again, and life comes back within her. It's absolutely remarkable. The ambulance comes, takes her to the hospital, 
And she tells this story pointing out these other situations, these four or five other moments in which she was hanging on to life from a thread. She tells this story actually of having this, this vision of heaven. And I'll, let you, I'll let Molly tell that part of the story. It's absolutely remarkable to hear about. But God comes, it comes to her and pulls her out of this storm. Now, when, doctor, when she sits down for health visits and the doctors go over her, her chart, they have to stop and they have to ask her, how is it that you're still alive right now? They can't believe that this happened. But God heard the prayers of her children in this storm, and the storm was calmed. Now, like I said, I don't know what storms you are facing. And I don't know if God has answered or not answered prayers in the ways that you have wanted in the past. But as your pastor, I urge you, please continue to pray to the Lord about these storms that are going on in your life. Continue to storm heaven yourself with these prayers. And let us do it with you too. There's been some moments that Molly and I have heard, out, heard about something that, that someone has gone through. And we're like, why didn't you tell us about it? We want to be praying for you. Also, after we have communion, there's going to be prayer ministers available in the back who, again, would love to pray about what's going on in your life. You don't have to do it alone. That's what the church is here for. We want to pray with you. We want to storm heaven with you. So what else can we glean from this passage? Well, I've already alluded to a couple of times that this story has some parallels with the story of Jonah from the Old Testament, that rascal of a prophet that prophet who wanted to run away from God. He finds himself in a storm as well. And like today's story, the sailors on Jonah's boat were fearing for their lives. And the sailors, they're not, they're not believers of Yahweh. They're not believers of, of God. And so they kind of start going around and they're telling everybody, pray to your gods, pray to your gods, ask for mercy, ask for mercy. And then they get to Jonah and Jonah's like, well, all right, I'll, I, I, I think the problem is actually me. And he lobs himself over the sea, right? And as I said earlier, God appoints a fish to come and rescue him. Well, there's multiple points in the Gospels that Jesus refers to himself as Jonah, as a sign of Jonah. And Jesus even, he says this at one point. He says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three, ni- and three nights in the heart of the earth. So just as Jonah was thrown into the sea for the salvation of those sailors, Jesus too will be thrown into the storm that is human sin. Jesus will descend into the depths of hell itself. But Jesus will emerge victorious from this. He will emerge from the grave, rescuing not just a handful of sailors, but rescuing the human race. So in the year 1736, there was a ship sailing from England to America. And I, I wish the Gunthers were here today. They would like this story, but they're, they're traveling because this is a story that involves some good Englishmen. So as Anglicans, we can be like, okay, cool. Um, but also some, some good Germans were on this, which is why I wish the Gunthers were here, but they're traveling this weekend. <laughs> so there's some Germans on, or there's some English on this boat. There's some Germans on this boat. Uh, who called themselves the Moravians, uh, which you might be familiar with that um, branch of Christianity in the 1800s. 
But one of the young Englishmen on this boat was journaling of his experiences on this boat and kind of observing these two people and the way that they behaved on the ship. And this man noticed that no matter what kind of injuries were incurred by the Germans, they never complained. They were always full of joy. They were always working, and they sang all the time. And he talks about this. Well, one day, a huge storm comes. And naturally, the Germans decide this is a wonderful opportunity to hold church. Kind of like us this morning. Hey, it's storming out. Let's hold church. Why not, right? And this is what's written in that young man's journal. So in the midst of the psalm, the sea broke over, split the main sail in pieces, covered the ships, and poured water in between the decks, as if the great deep itself had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English, but the Germans calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? And he answered, I thank God, no. But then I asked, but were not your women and your children afraid? And he replied mildly, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. I love that. <laughs> our women and children are not afraid to die. And from then I went to their <laughs> from them I went to the crying trembling neighbors, the English, and I pointed out to them the difference in the hour of trial between him that feareth God and him that feareth him not. Well at 12 the wind fell. Now this was the most glorious day that I have hitherto seen. You see this man his report or he reports being completely awestruck by the Moravians' faith throughout the storm. You see, the Moravians knew that Jesus Christ doesn't just conquers storms, but that he has conquered death itself. That Jesus went through the worst of it for our behalf. And this was the source of that tremendous, empowering faith of those Moravians in the 18th century. Now, this young man who wrote the journal, his name is John Wesley. And Wesley would later to go on to become one of the greatest American preachers and teachers and theologians of the 18th century. And he points to this moment on the ship, this moment with their Moravians, with the storm going on, he points to this as the moment in his life in which his faith in Jesus Christ became authentic, real, vibrant, and a solid core of his life. Watching the Moravians in the storm transformed Wesley's life, grew his faith in the faith of countless others who sat under Wesley's teachings. So I pray that we here at Restoration, that we would be like those Moravians, right? People who know how the story ends. People who know that there will be one day in which that storm will be calmed. Every storm will be calmed. And the sea will be as still and beautiful as crystal itself in the throne room of heaven. May we be people who know that Jesus sits upon the throne. That he is the Holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He is the one who fills our lungs with the breath of life and controls even the waves itself. And he is worthy of all glory, honor, and power, and praise. He is Jesus Christ the Lord. And he is one who is here with us in the middle of the storm. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I invite you now to stand if you're able.